I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight, another off-season podcast and another special guest, as always. Uh, we're joined by Gilly. Uh, how are you, Gilly? I'm very well, boys. Nice to uh, be on with you. Let's crack straight in and so we can all wrap up our evenings and go find somewhere warm. Um, Dale looks freezing. Uh, football Operations Manager. That's the right title. Well, it has changed. Uh, changed at the uh, end of end of uh, last year uh, to director of football. And what's the difference now? Uh, I guess More the money? difference now was uh, yeah, probably sort of out of the the sort of day to day uh, organising flights and you know the the day to day business of of the of the team. Uh, and more now sort of looking I guess at the the overall programs that we have you know we now have a an A-League men's side an A-League women's side that are back uh, in the in the country and under the same roof uh, and obviously a growing academy We've now got eight teams in it with five boys teams three girls teams uh, so it's taking a sort of a an, an overarching look at at the sort of the, the football side of the club now you know and how how we're doing it how we can do it better and um, you know how we can maximize what we're doing it's kind of a brilliant little segue um, into uh, the, somewhat of the change of approach for the club this season. A lot more uh, lifting up some of those players from those the academy teams, especially into the firsts. Um, can you talk us through the thinking behind that and what the strategy is, not just this year, but maybe you know the next couple of years? Yeah, look, I, it's interesting, right? I've done a little bit of uh, stuff on this last week with Piney and uh, um, Rolo and then something on the club channel. It's not like this came sort of with a flick of the switch and we're going to go from something to something else. You know, we've, the, the academy's been growing for a, for a long time now. Uh, and I guess over some of those COVID years, you know, it probably, uh, <clears throat> for a lot of clubs actually, you know, it, it pushed a lot of younger players into the, into the squads uh, earlier than maybe what would have happened previous, prior to COVID. And I think through that time, we sort of, everybody sort of sat up and went, hang on a minute, you know, these, these kids can actually play and there's a benefit by playing these kids. You know, we, we, we obviously, you know, can do things better within our own budgets. Uh, and also there's an opportunity to, to sell uh, some of these players onto, onto the bigger markets. So, yeah, it's not like it's, it's, it's an overnight switch, but I think over the last couple of years, we've probably now this season cemented our thinking, or prior to the season, cemented our thinking and you know how important that pathway is to us uh, and, and where that pathway can potentially take the club. Uh, so I think over the next couple of seasons, we'll, we'll continue to see that, that, that evolve. Will we continue to sign you know, five or six players out of the academy every year? I don't think so. Uh, I think this thing is very cyclical. You know, you end up going through a phase where you have a, a good bunch or a good crop of players that you do take into the first team. Uh, yeah, and when you're looking at signing players on sort of two to four year contracts uh, or three to four year contracts, as we have been with Lucas Kelly-Heald and Luke Supic, um, 
you know, th those those contracts go through. Uh, so then as they sort of come through and maybe we lose some of that mid-tier, then we have to look to find other mid-tier or our own mid-tier comes through, right? And then we're looking to, you know, more visa players uh, coming through. Long answer, sorry. <laughs> Just um, just following on from that, I guess in an A-League context, um, a lot of people will draw the kind of comparison against the Mariners. You know, that's something historically they've done. They've done well as have a strong academy and build from, you know, within. Is that something you guys are modelling yourself, you know, with a, an inspiration from that in the A-League? Or is it something you think you're doing differently? And what do you think you're doing differently if you do see it as a different model to what they've done at, at Central Coast? Yeah, look, it's interesting the Central Coast one, right? I mean, you know, they ever Central Coast ever win this year, and everyone thinks, okay, well, you know, that's that's what we're doing, that's why we're doing it, right? Or sorry, had to win last year. Um, if you have a look at the Central Coast model, you know, a lot of those players that were coming into the Central Coast were actually coming in from, or sorry, coming into the first team, were academy graduates, but a number of players were also coming in from some of the other. A-League uh, academies, right? You know, obviously, when you're in New South Wales, you have that ability to be looking at the the Western Sydney Wanderers Academy, the Sydney FC Academy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like they were solely taking players out of their own pathway. Um, yeah, look, it's probably cemented a little bit of thinking for some people that, you know, yes, you can do this, but at the same token, a Central Coaster's uh, victory in the A-League is probably more akin to a Leicester uh, City Premier League win, right? It's one of those ones that will come every now and then, but it's not going to be the regular occurrence. Uh, so I actually think we've probably been going down this pathway for a while now, even before everything happened with Central Coast last year. You know, if you look at Libby Kakachi, Ben Wayne, uh, Sapreet Singh, you know, these are, these are good academy graduates. And I think we're now seeing you know, uh, more numbers going into the under-20 New Zealand sides, those guys getting exposure and doing well at under-20 World Cups now. You know, the Finn Sermons, the Isaac Hughes, Lucas Kelly Hill, all starting, you know, through the through the back four there. So, um, yeah, I, 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 this is not something we've, we're looking at other clubs and going, okay, we're going to copy that. I think this is something that we've actually had in place now or in, in, in sort of play for... I guess you could probably go back 10 years when we first started the Football School of Excellence. Can you then talk us through how, um, I guess, the club gone from chiefly wanting to sign a centre-back to suggesting one's just around the corner to then actually know we're going to go in-house? Like, is that is that a realisation of whether maybe the market is or, or budget changes late? Like, what, what kind of changed that evolution? Yeah, look, our, as you guys know, our preseason starts uh, very early in the piece, right? It's one of the longest ones in the world, and sometimes the the actual budget number for the for the year for the player budget is not finalised. Uh, and we, yeah, it's well reported that we've 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 taken a pretty significant uh, drop in the player budget for for this coming season. So, you know, at the point where Chiefy was appointed and started talking about the recruitment. There was a fifth visa spot available, and you know, centre back was looking like the option uh, for that for that to be used. Then, over the course of things, you know, we, we were always talking with Chiefy about uh, you know where the club wanted to go in terms of you know giving the the players out of the academy or young New Zealand players an opportunity. Um, and then you get someone like Finn Sermon that has an outstanding uh, under twenty World Cup, and you go, well, actually, you know, if we are going to be true to what we want to we want to do, then someone like Finn Sermon needs to be given the opportunity to play football games. Uh, 
and Isaac Hughes as well is another one that's coming now to provide some cover there. And then you've got Lucas Cullyhield as well. So we're pretty well served in that area in terms of the, the players coming through. But we still have that visa up our slot for January should we need to use it, you know, there potentially or somewhere else. With all these uh, younger players getting uh, more minutes, is there um, more of a managed expectation around results? Is this kind of like a, you know, a two-year thing rather than a one-year program? Look, we 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 are looking long-term, um, but football is also a short-term game, right? It's it's there there is a game at the end of the week or on the weekend, and there's three points up for grabs, right? So. Um, yes, we are looking at what this might look like in you know two to three years' time with these players coming through. But at the same token, we've taken thirteen players through from last year. You know, we've taken four visa players through. We've got Rufer now that's knocking on the door of a hundred games. You know, and had he not had the injuries he had, he might have you know one hundred and twenty plus. So there's still good experience in that squad. You know, it's not a squad that you look at and you go, it's a wooden spoon squad straight off the bat. You know, there's there's a lot of football to be played out. Preseason is very difficult for us because we don't get to play regularly against the A-League opposition and get a true test of, of where we're at. We do have a couple of games coming up in Australia before the season starts with the men, and that'll tell us a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's not a case of, you know, we're just throwing this season away as a development season by any stretch of the imagination. We still believe there are good players in the squad. Uh, we believe someone like Finn Sermon, you know, has, has all the ability in the world and, and you know, is as good or if not better centre-back than Josh Laws, for example. So he's there and he's in the squad um, by right, you know, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll be going out to win football games. Don't worry about that. Um, with some of the contracts you've offered the, these uh, academy players, they, they seem to be quite long considering, you know, the, the fact that most of them haven't played any kind of consistent first-team football. Is, is that with an eye on, you know, a potential Auckland uh, team coming in and and making that market more competitive? It's funny, isn't it? I read a lot of stuff, right? And I read a lot of forums and I read a lot of this and that. And, uh, you know, you get smashed if you do one years and you get smashed if you do four years, right? But no, look, in seriousness, it's... it's uh, is it about Auckland? Uh, you know, there's always an eye towards protecting what, what we have and protecting our pathway and, and showing this, that, that how good that pathway is and, and, and giving that as a viable option to, to players in the country. But also then you start to think about Olympic Games, you start to think about World Cup cycles, particularly now that we, 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 should, be, we should be going to a World Cup every four years, right? So you are now also looking at, you know, length of contracts that take players into that World Cup year, uh, because there's also compensation payments that, that FIFA make back to clubs, you know, for the two years preceding if they do go to World Cup. So, you know, there's a whole raft of rationale as to why you would look at longer-term contracts. Uh, and I guess, you know, the longer-term ones that we are doing, they are players that we think who will will play A-League minutes, will go to, you know, in the case of the Finn Conchies and the Finn Sermons and the Lucas Kelly Hills, you know, they, they potentially go to Olympics and they potentially go to World Cups as well. And if they do well through those international campaigns and are playing A-League minutes, then they're also viable options to, to sell into European markets, right? So the longer you have on those contracts, you know, the better that, that is for, for us and also the security for the players. Um, with regard to that Auckland team coming in, um, what are you kind of expecting as far as your recruitment and retention of players, whether it be young players or old players, what do you expect to happen? Because this is kind of our first time seeing 
the New Zealand market have in competition? Yeah, really good question, right? It's a, it's a real unknown. Uh, you know, we don't know how Auckland will come in in terms of, you know, their their philosophy, their strategy. You know, is it going to be throw millions of dollars at it? You know, Melbourne City type approach, uh, particularly if, if what we're reading in the news is, is correct. And, you know, there's a backer link with Bournemouth and French clubs and stuff like that. So, you know, until we know what their what their strategy is and what, what, what they are looking to do, you know, that will then probably determine which type of players are going to be on their radar or not on their radar, you know, and how that then affects how we do things. And But it also means with the New Zealand market, you know, we're going to have to be starting to think a lot earlier about the re-signing of players. You know, for example, you've got uh, Ben Old, uh, Alex Paulson coming off contract with us at the end of this year. You know, they're two boys from Auckland. Uh so we're going to need to make some early calls and early decisions on, you know, whether we think those are the right guys to be going forward with. Um, yeah, it's just, it's probably going to have to be a lot smarter, right? Because as you say, we haven't had that competition in the New Zealand market. Our players are considered visa players in Australia. Um, so it has meant, you know, in the past, it's probably been an easier an easier recruitment process with the New Zealand local players that aren't deemed good enough to be visa players in the Australian market. Um, a bit related to that, in, in terms of in terms of a New Zealand market, and I think it's one that um, a lot of fans across a lot of clubs would be interested to hear from from someone in a position like yours about is um, mutual terminations across the A League. You know, the number of times we see a, a mutual termination announced, and then the players announce five minutes later signing for a new club, and you know that 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 kind of transfer market often works kind of outside of transfers in the A League a lot. Do you, do you see that? A A is that how it feels on the inside, and B. Do you see that being something the club might be a bit harder about, given there is this development of a potential New Zealand market and a market for players there? You know, are we going to see the club release players to sign for Auckland five minutes later, or is that something you see yourself, yeah, being a bit harder on? Yeah, look, I, I think it's. I think normally when you start talking about those mutual terminations, right there, there's probably one party that's not happy with the other party. Um, you know. Sometimes it's the club, you know, the club's happy to see a player go. And once they find that other opportunity, then, you know, great. It's, it's, it's a mutual, mutual benefit for both parties. Right. Um, you know, it gets a little bit trickier when it's probably player led, uh, and, you know, then you've got to weigh up and, and understand the rationale behind that. You know, is it personal reasons? Is it, you know, are there other things at play there? Um, so yeah, the, the player led one is always very difficult uh, to work your way through. Um, and you have to be conscious of, of, of why that decision or why they're coming to you with that. Um, yeah. Can you be harder on that? Um, yes, you can always be harder on that. We have been hard on that previously at, with other players. You know, there are some players that, you know, we might've talked to or might've talked to us that are still here, you know? Um, so every, every situation is different, different, uh, and it has to be looked at separately, uh, and weighed up. Um, you know, ideally we would have transfer fees probably, um, but I know it's something that the PFA is not is not you know that hot on because it does mean or they see it as as potential of taking money out of the out of the potential pool that's available to the players, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one to navigate through. There's no there's no right or wrong answer, I don't think, and there's no right or way right or wrong way of doing it. You know, as I say, every situation is different. And sometimes you have players that, that that are still here that are disgruntled, and other times there's there's a mutual mutual agreement that that works for all parties. We've uh, you've had a bit of a um, 
parallel situation, I think, with um, Callan Elliott last year, where you basically didn't get his signature, and he's now without a club. Does that kind of close the door for him as well? Uh, with you know, is there strategy across the board we need to be a little bit firmer with some of these scenarios, especially with no in light of no transfer fees? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, I, I think so. I think at some point, you know, the league has to mature, uh, the clubs have to mature, the agents have to mature, and the players have to mature. That, you know, why should the A League be any different than the Premier League, La Liga, for example, in terms of transfer fees, uh, in terms of training compensation, solidarity payments, and stuff like that? You know, if we're going to grow this league uh, and we're going to grow the clubs, you know, develop the product. Uh, and make it sustainable, we have to be part of that that global transfer market. Uh, and when you start getting ridiculous transfer buyout clauses or, or or things of that nature that start to come into it, then you have to weigh up, you know, is this really worthwhile? You know, is it worthwhile to sign a player and potentially have them leave before the season starts on a free or then potentially leave in January on a transfer clause that's, you know, basically $5, you know, Okay, those numbers are not quite right, but you know that's that you get the sort of gist of what I'm talking about. You know, they have to it, it has to it has to be right for all parties. I think one of the things we've really tried to do as a club uh, is is be fair and reasonable. You know, we had the situation with Ben Wayne where there was the transfer window where Plymouth came and we didn't sell because we didn't think it was right on a number of fronts. Then the second time they did come back and it was perfect for everybody, right? So, you know, it's, it's, you just got to find, I think the, it has to be, has to work for everybody. You know, it has, it has to, has to work for the club, has to work for the player and it has to work for, for the agent and everything like that, you know, so. Would these kind of negotiations, negotiations go on? Obviously one of the, the factors is um, potentially uh, not getting a contract signed at the end of a deal and the player leaving on a free. Is um, we've obviously got um, a couple of guys you mentioned, Ben Old or uh, Alex Paulson, in that scenario, and also you've got um, uh, Oscar Zavada. What what's the kind of what's the strategy for those sorts of players? You know, the ones that you do want to you do want to retain. Um, how early are you looking to put a, a piece of paper in front of them? How you know? How hard are you pushing? Yeah, so there's there's two separate uh, category of player there for me, right? You're talking, you know, your academy graduates like a Ben Old and a and a um, Alex Paulson. You, those are you know those are ones that we've kept a, a very close eye on through the preseason. It's well known that that, that Oldies had some some uh, injury issues, you know, so we're having to sort of monitor that at the moment and and where that sort of sits. You know, to 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 be open with you, we're we're, we're talking with him and his agent at the moment about what it might look like beyond this season. But it's a it's a very tricky negotiation because there is an injury factor in there that we have to all be very careful about. And what does that look? You know, we can't in a salary cap league with a with a certain number of players have a player on a big contract that is you know injured. So we're we're just trying to work through all that at the moment. So you know those ones you've got to start early. Uh, AP, you know, we will we've had some preliminary discussions with his agent already. You know, to to, to garner interest on on where we might go from here. Um, but those players, at the same time, we you know we do hold a training compensation um, uh, potential on because they're still under the age of twenty three. So those players, you know, that, that they can't leave on a free if that makes sense, right? They might be coming off contract, but they do have we still have the training compensation that sits there for those guys, uh, and then that sort of weighs into 
the negotiation that happens around that training compensation waiver and what that might look like. You know, we're, we're, we're not silly. We know we're not going to get the full whack of the money because some of these training compensation fees can be quite high, you know. So then we're looking at, you know, what sort of fee do we get out of it? What sort of percentage of on-sale do we get on from that and stuff like that? So those players are they're in that category where, yes, we probably want to retain them and we want to talk about that, but we've also had the training compensation there as a, as a backup mechanism. Oscar Zavad is different. The import players are different. You know, you're not necessarily bringing the uh, visa players in as a as a uh, as a, 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 a potential sale. But in saying that, you know, last year we did move towards looking at players that were in that sort of 25 to 26 age bracket for the visas in terms of uh, BK and, and Oscar to bring in uh, on a multi-year contract. So if the right offer had come, then we move. We, then we do sell. You know, but at the same token those players are brought in to do something or provide something that we potentially don't have in the squad, you know, and if we had two years of Oscar Zavada scoring 14 goals one year and 15 goals the next year, then actually the investment we've made into him in terms of his wages have, have paid off, right? Uh, and then it becomes about what does it look like beyond that, you know, and potentially as we know, when you start thinking about the um, uh, Tommy Hemeds and the, and the Ullies of the world, you know, then it starts to get difficult for us because then the other A-League clubs with the bigger budgets are able to provide more money. So the, the visa players are, are very different, right? It's not necessarily about, you know, trying to keep it. Sometimes about trying to find the best that you can get out of those guys for that couple of years. And if we can carry on, great. You know, if we can't meet or match other offers, so be it. Uh, and if there was something that came in the in the middle of that contract that was too good to refuse, then then you also look at that. With New Zealand players playing overseas, be they um, players that have kind of come through the New Zealand program or uh, I believe there was one sign for the All Whites that's kind of come come via Fulham effectively. Um, how much of an eye do you keep on those sorts of players and how serious do you get about, you know, looking at bringing someone like that back? The uh, Yellow Fever uh, Forum uh, Kiwis Abroad is always one that I love to keep my eye on because <laughs> it always tends to throw up someone new that you might not have heard of. Uh, no, look, we're, 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 always, um, we're always keeping an eye on what's going on overseas. You know, the, the likes of uh, the, the Fulham lad, um, yeah, like he's, he's not coming back to New Zealand anytime soon, right? The, the world's his oyster at the moment in Europe. Uh, um, the other one that I think the... Biden or Biden, uh, you know, he's another one that's forging a career overseas. So he's not coming back anytime soon, you know. And then you start looking at the other ones like Marco Stamenich and Callum McCow. You know, we've had a couple of conversations with Callum over the last couple of years, you know, reached out through different people just to express the feelers, you know, while he was still sort of in that that uh, Danish or Norwegian league, wherever it was. Uh, but he still wanted to forge his career and now he's gone on and, you know, got a decent contract. So we're always always keeping an eye on things. You know, previously we had conversations with um, uh, Nico Kerwin, you know, when he was sort of floating around the Sierra Chi there, um, but we were never able to get anything across the line. And then obviously, you know, last year we brought in uh, Nico Boxall. Um, so we're, we're, we're always keeping tabs on on what the players overseas are doing because, you know, again, coming back to this sort of recruitment strategy, it's not just about the academy. It's also what's the next tier that, you know, there is going to be an academy tier in there. There's going to be a mid tier in there, you know, where we talk about the roofers and the pains. Yeah, we had a conversation with, um, I'm going to forget his name now, um, playing in Turkey, uh, Rap Career, Newcastle. Um, Joe, Joe Chapness. 
Joey Chemnus, that's the one. Joey C. Joey C. Before he signed with the Turkish club, you know, there, there, there was some discussion about him coming back in and, you know, resetting down here. And, you know, the, the deal that, that he was able to get out of Turkey meant that he could probably come here for something that we would not normally be able to get him for. Um, so, yeah, those those conversations and, and keeping tabs on over on the overseas uh, Kiwi boys is, is, is always ongoing. Um, with the with the players that are kind of coming through and the the I mean you mentioned the um, the training payments etc. Um, we've kind of got the the impression that it's we're a bit of a sell club. It's like bring the players up, play the players in the first league, and if you get someone like a a, a Libby or a Sapri um, or you know why not, then you know you was basically like handshake. Thanks for playing. Uh, enjoy the rest of your career. Is that um, is that a deliberate strategy, or is just like an acceptance that we can't pay the money that some of these players can uh, make once they hit a certain level? Yeah, look, I think it's an understanding of where 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 you sit in the in the global fo- football chain, right, or the or the global football pyramid. You know, we we. We have a laugh when you know we're talking about academy kids being sheltered at, at, at local clubs in Wellington or around the country. You know that that the, the clubs don't want to then push them on to the Phoenix for the next stage of their development. And, and we're no different, right? We're we not not sorry. We're different in so much as that we don't see ourselves going. Okay, we just got to hold on to these guys because the aspiration of every young New Zealand football player is to be playing in the Premier League, right? You know, all of us when we were young probably thought. I want to, well, I, I always wanted to play for Man United because that was my team, right? Um, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, should I? Yeah, yeah that's no, always <laughs> too much information. <laughs> so um, no, look, you just we're the, the global football pyramid is 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 such that we don't sit anywhere near the top of it. We get that, we understand that. You know, if you have a look at league rankings, I think the A League at the moment is sixty eighth or sixty or somewhere in the sixties in the world. So these kids. Uh, we understand they're using this as a as a stepping stone and a pathway towards bigger and brighter things, you know. And if you then sort of put your New Zealand football hat on, uh, thinking about football in New Zealand and all whites and stuff like that, you know, it is better for the elite high performance of all whites and ferns that these players are then going on to play in the best or highest leagues they possibly can. Um, so that's obviously true with the, the men's side. Uh with the women's, is there a different strategy, or is it um, one that's in kind of in an earlier stage of development? Yeah, look, I think the women's game is very much in, a, in an evolution phase. Um, it's fair to say, you know, the last couple of years we we, we haven't necessarily been as hands on with it, uh, given the structure of it. Uh, but this season, it is now fully integrated within the the, the Wayans and Phoenix. So Temps and I did a lot of work over the pre-season uh, or the off-season at, at looking at, you know, salaries around the world, um, you know, what what was going into contracts in terms of buyout clauses and stuff like that, length of contracts, all that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was actually good timing with having the Women's World Cup here because we had so many conversations with people that we would never get to have conversations with to try and understand what the world market looked like in that female space. As an example, we had Kate Taylor's agent, uh, Lindy, who is uh, based in London, come out to watch uh, the UK at the World Cup. So we had a good, we had an opportunity to take her around the facility at NZIS and 
you know, sit down and have a coffee with her and talk for an hour and a half, you know, and that's those sort of conversations that really help you to understand and also for her to understand that, you know, she's not just sending players or, or Kate's not at some place at the bottom of the earth that doesn't look after the players. You know, we're in a state-of-the-art facility. We've got good stuff around the players and, and we want to, you know, we want to put them on the on the the highest possible stage here to then push them on to the highest possible stage that they can get to. We had the head of recruitment for Man United Women come out. You know, he was in town at the same time watching uh, and scouting. Lindy put him onto us. We took him out to the facility, showed him around. We took him down. There was a couple of um, uh, girls' academy games playing at the same time, you know, so we got a chance to to talk and speak with him. We had the Spanish FA come out, the uh, sorry, come and have a look at the facility, um, the uh, director of football for the female side of things, you know, and yeah, she was saying to us what what the salaries are for for La Liga players, you know, in terms of sixty percent of players are getting paid probably what uh, what the A League is paying, but then you go to this next bracket when you start talking about the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids and things like that. So look, this is a long long winded way of saying. We, we now have one contract that has a buyout clause in it, you know, um, with one of the New Zealand players. That's a multi-year contract. Uh, and we're also, you know, looking at, 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 I think, the long game with some of these players and what World Cups will look like, what compensation payments will look like. You know, as an example of that, the Men's World Cup is 8500 US dollars per day that goes back to the, the clubs. Uh in the women's game, it's five hundred dollars or five hundred US dollars, right, uh, per day. Now that has to change. There has to be a greater equalisation of that equi- equity of that, and you know, down the line, developing in the girl. Sorry, the women's program is is different in terms of how they they, they make that payout. You know, fifty percent goes back to the the club uh, that's releasing the player to the World Cup, and then fifty percent goes back in a training a training compensation mechanism similar to the men. So, you know, these are all things now that you have to start keeping an eye on to go, okay, we need to now start thinking about longer term, longer contracts, you know, and if we are doing longer contracts, then buyout clauses will come into it and et cetera, et cetera. Um, with uh, regards to the players coming through that academy and kind of progressing out, um, it's kind of become quite noticeable in Australia. We've seen, we're seeing a lot of uh, young players coming from migrant um, scenarios we don't seem to see that here is is that just it's anecdote you know it's just a cyclical thing or is it just the the way the Aussie um, uh, leagues and that are structured um, is better suited to than it is over here yeah interesting because it's something I, I raised uh, last year the year before with with some of the guys in the academy you know it's like we're, we're, we're uh, we're our era kunders, I guess, basically, right? Where where are these guys coming through the New Zealand system? Um, and I think at the moment it's probably more, you know, political New Zealand immigration policy, you know, number of refugees coming in the country as opposed to those coming into Australia. Uh, from what I understand, I think the numbers of of refugees going into Australia are significantly larger than them coming into New Zealand, for example. So, you know, potentially the pool of players is not the same. Um, but yeah, it, look, it's 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 something that I'm conscious of, you know, not just refugees, but also Pacific Island Maori players. You know, how amazing would it be to get some of these guys that committed to football rather than rugby or rugby league that are great athletes, right? That turn themselves into big giants who actually probably could be very good footballers and stay off the weights. Yeah. 
<laughs> or they could just stay on the weights and uh, start <laughs> throwing their shoulders around. Um, we're kind of um, uh, still going. I'm still going into the uh, the academy side because it fascinates me how we're basically turning a one team club. Sorry, we, you, and your collective um, are turning a one team club into a, a full you know, a full development cycle, you know, all the way through from, you know, 12s or whatever it is. Um, how does someone get in, break into that uh, first team if they haven't come through the academy, if they've come, um, say, from the in, um, National Leagues over in Australia, for example? Yeah, look, it's it's always easier when somebody's in your backyard, right? When they're coming through the academy program uh, and, you know, Chiefy or previously Uffi has said, and it was difficult under COVID, right, because we weren't even in the same same country, uh, which really hurt us and hurt the academy. But when you're in the same city and you've got a, a fully-fledged academy down there and you've got, you know, let's say in any one cycle at the moment, 10 to 12 players that are going off to an under-20 World Cup, and you need a player to come into training or you need a number of players to come into training, those are the guys that you can get in. And they're the guys that get the opportunity to impress but also get the opportunity to develop a lot quicker because they're actually down training. You know, I think this preseason we had, oh, it's well publicised, you know, we probably had 12 to 15 kids from the academy coming in and training, you know, and they've now done, you know, two, two and a half months of preseason with the team, you know, and there's a little wonder that Chief is now going, well, Luke Supic is, is, is worthwhile, you know, uh, Finn Conchi was always you know, a special player. I think any, you guys would have seen him playing Central League, right? He always stood out. So it makes it a lot easier, but it's not a close shot. You know, I have to say that we've got uh, a couple of under-17 boys coming in over the over the next week or so uh, to come in and train with the, with the academy to continue to prepare for the under-17 World Cup, which gives us an opportunity to have a look at them. One of those has come from Australia, right, Who's who's got Kiwi passport. So... We're always looking, you know, and it doesn't, it, it's, you don't, you don't have to come all the way through the academy from 14. You know, you can come into the academy at, at various parts uh, and still break through to the first team. Um, and you can also go through the academy or go overseas and, and not come through our academy and then come back. You know, we've got Riley back training with the first team at the moment with a view towards, you know, maybe a contract. Um and then, you know, Nico Boxel is another case in point. So it's it's not solely, you know, it's you know, we, we, we want to have as many of the best players coming through the academy and working with these players and, and sort of putting the wraparound services that we do to make them as good as we possibly can. Um, but it's definitely not a closed shot. Even though it looks like that, it's just, in our minds, these are some very, very good players. And I think that was evident uh, on the weekend with the... Uh, the one 0 loss uh, that the the National League side had, the reserve team had against Auckland City. You know, it was a very very young side playing against arguably New Zealand's best amateur side of, of the last 10, 15 years, right? And you know that they did really really well. They 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 matched it. I thought with with a, with a very good Auckland City side. So we've got some good players here. Yeah. We're not in the habit of sorry. We're not in the habit of handing out contracts for the sake of handing out contracts. Damn it. Yeah, I was looking for a career change. <laughs> Keep looking, buddy. Our short goalkeepers are never going to make it, unfortunately, Dale. The world's moved on, mate. <laughs> ah. 
I don't think I'm much shorter than Glenmore, so he did all right. Um, you've mentioned Finn Conchie. He obviously had a um, very public um, incident in the off season. Well, I guess his season. I mean, a, a few questions around that. I mean, when his when is he available to play? I've seen mixed mixed messages about when he can actually play first team. Uh, he can play his first competitive game round one of the A League season. So he he was he was handed down a 10, 10 game suspension, uh, which has actually ended up being a lot more than ten games, right? So it had to be served in the uh, it obviously had to be served in the in the competition that it was um, that it was given. So that's Central League uh, going into National League. The ten games in that particular competition, or those particular competitions, took him up to I think it's the fourteenth of uh, October, and fortunately the A League season starts the twenty first of October. But at the same token, because of the nature of the suspension and the length of the suspension, he was then suspended from ability to play in uh, Australia Cup games as well and also missed out on uh, all the qualifiers for the under-23. So I think he's actually probably missed out about 16 games in total. At the time, you said you guys would conduct, I guess, a review of your own processes and would work with Rainbow Earth. What's, what's kind of happened? What's the outcome of that? Yeah, so um, we're, we're, it's an ongoing process with Rainbow Youth uh, and um, we will, we're going to be running education sessions with the, uh, with the academy and also with First Team on, uh, on, on those particular issues uh, so that we can educate our players uh, and staff you know, so that they, that they know what is, what's right and what's wrong uh, in, in, the, in the current, current climate. Um, we have also, um, yeah, we've we've employed uh, two sports psychs that work for the club now uh, across the academy, uh, A League women, A League men, and also two chaplains uh, that work in the academy space: one female, one male. Um, so those are. Uh, there's already been some education work that's been done with uh, those uh, particular staff members with some of the younger groups. Uh, we're reinforcing on a regular occurrence with the with the coaching staff uh, and managers of those teams back into the players around there. You know what's 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 um, required of a Phoenix player uh, and, and what our expectations are. Um, so really, I think you know with, with that particular incident, we yeah, we I think we thought we'd we'd done a lot. You know, we'd put this in place, we put that in place, but ultimately there were still some other things that we needed to do. And I think the education piece and keeping it forefront uh, of, of, of the kids and the players' minds uh, on a regular occurrence is, is really important, right? So so you're not just sort of saying, okay, I'm going to tick a box here and I'm going to do half an hour you know, seminar or, or something like that and then forget about it, but we need to be making sure that we're doing this on a, on a regular basis. So there are ongoing processes that we are putting in place ongoing education and, you know, through the, the work that the sports psychs are doing in terms of, you know, the mental wellness and, and preparedness and that sort of stuff, this, a lot of this has been covered as well. Cool. So um, he's, uh, has he been able to train with the squad? Is it just a playing ban or was there internal um, uh, punishment as well? No, we uh, look internally. We 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 dealt. We thought we dealt with the situation very quickly and very promptly and very swiftly. Um, 
and made sure that, that, that he was accountable and took accountability for it and also that the club took accountability for it. As far as the ban, the ban is only on competitive games um, and it made no sense that, you know, the player was then not able to train because, you know, you detrain a player and then you start from scratch in 10 weeks' time. So I don't think there's ever been any instances of these nature of this nature where a player's been given a ban of 10 weeks and they don't train, right? Because you have to continue to train. That's It just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, we, we were... <laughs> We were actually about to offer a contract the day the, the I was about to speak to his agent and uh, Finn the day after that game. Uh, so you can imagine the surprise when it was sort of like, oh my God, we're dealing with this. And I was about to talk to you. So we delayed that contract. Uh, so there was a bit of a financial penalty for Finn as well uh, in terms of missing out on a couple of months of salary. Um, so yeah. But we we, we feel the, the, the punishment, um, the, the punishment has been has been proper and fits fits what happened. Um, but also at the same time, he's a young kid. You know, we wanted to make sure we wrapped around uh, services to help him through it because he was pretty devastated throughout the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, teenagers make mistakes of varying degrees. Uh, and I don't think this was a case of, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, he is a talented player. He's very remorseful for what 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 happened, uh, and now he needs to he needs to, and we all need to move on and and hopefully see him you know get back to playing good football. Has it given you guys a chance to I guess reflect on not just that incident but behaviour in, in general? I, I guess some eyebrows raised perhaps locally that you know some of the on field behaviour of some teams are. Um, not the greatest, and, and you know, um, I think it's fair to say that Greeny and Steve are not the most calmest guys on the sideline, and you can probably suggest you're probably not the calmest on the sideline in A-League games. Has, has there been a, a chance to reflect, I guess, more broadly about behaviour and not beyond just, you know, the homophobic incident? Yeah, look, I, at a personal level, I've definitely reflected. I, I think it, you know, it was it was well seen what happened at the Central Coast game, right, uh, at Wellington. Yeah, I've reflected on that a lot. Uh, that's not uh, that's not becoming of, of of a football director of football at a football club. Uh, yeah, there was. I could give you all the excuses under the world why it happened, and you know some of the stuff that was going on on the pitch. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just not right. So, me personally, I've reflected on that. Uh, it won't be something that will ever be seen by me again. Uh, it won't ever be seen from me doing something like that. In terms of our own players, um, again, it's you know we, we it's part of this ongoing education. You know, it's not just the the Finn Conchi homophobic slur that was uh, sort of brought to the forefront through this. Yeah, you know, it's also as you say some of the behaviours that go on. Uh, but to be to be to be really blunt and brutal, brutally honest about it. There is a weight that goes with the Wellington Phoenix logo for these kids. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm where I can. I get to every Central League game I can, right? And if there's other games that I can see, I'll go and see them. I think Stephen, uh, Chris, coming for a lot of unfair criticism. Um, I watched that particular game with uh, Petoni and, and Wellington Phoenix, where the Finn Conti incident happened, and yeah. For me, those two actually were very, very calm, and all the craziness was coming from the other bench. So, um, look, at times, 
sometimes something will get said, and and that's part of the game. But I but but I do think very strongly that sometimes, and this probably won't be popular with a lot of people, but sometimes that 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 badge gives people the 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 opportunity to take a bit of a poke. You know, like you guys are you're this, you're that, you're these professionals. You should be above. We're really we're talking you know outside the men's first team, women's first team. We're talking about a bunch of amateur teenagers who are just teenagers, uh, and sometimes they do dumb stuff, you know. Um, but I see a lot of dumb stuff on football pitches from a lot of different people. Um, but it is something we spoke to the parents. We had a uh, parents and players Zoom uh, after the Finn Conchi incident, and we explained to them that they need to hold themselves at a higher level because they do come in for a more scrutiny because of the badge they do wear uh, on 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 the weekend. So, yeah, we're constantly reminding them that they need to they need to be at a high level. Um, but at the same token, you know, there are things that are going to happen on a football pitch, and some things, you know, you go, okay, that's part and parcel of it, and other things you go, okay, we need to make a we need to make a uh, a bit more of this, you know, and those things we 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 deal with internally. Um, those things that happen on the football pitch you mentioned. Um... I'll be honest. I've seen them happening for, you know, every single club almost um, without, you know, without uh, question. Um, do you think that that's kind of something that needs to be addressed more holistically, like as far as the player, um, the player behaviour, especially towards the ref uh, and other other participants? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's probably. Sounds a little bit ironic coming from somebody that was, you know, jumping up and down with with all the Central Coast players on the sideline after their game. But I do think we do have a, a little bit of a, a problem that we need to address. Um, but it's a very, very difficult problem to address when, you know, we turn on a, we turn on <clears throat> um, the TV and we're watching the Premier League and we're watching La Liga and we're watching all these other leagues around the world and we've got players surrounding referees and you know, you look at all the Premier League coaches, you know, yelling and screaming at fourth officials and whatnot, and some of the best coaches in the world, Pep Guardiola, you know, um, Mikel Arteta, you know, too, that, you know, you see them absolutely fizzing at fourth officials. So it's it's a, I think it's a problem for the whole of the game, and, and I don't know how you fix it at our level when people are looking to the next level and there's still that, that, that issue there. But then you look at, you know, junior football on the weekend right and coaches and parents on the sidelines and you know you just go sometimes what are you doing you know there's there's no need for this this is a this is a father refereeing a game and he's not a qualified referee and why the hell is he getting abuse for it you know i had an incident where i was refereeing my daughter's under 14 game it was a friendly game she's in the playing uh tdp uh the new girls only grade and they had a buy in it and they ended up playing another team in a friendly game and before half time I'd basically handed over the whistle to the coach of the other team and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't deal with, 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 with the abuse that's coming from you and your fans. Yeah, it's just it's uncalled for. So we do have to we do have to fix it. There is there is a need to address it. Um, but as I say, it's a it's a tough problem to address. With a bunch of players coming, I guess, through the the National League and regional national league is and in the Central League, 
that new structure has been in a, in a couple of seat been in for a couple of seasons. How does that work from a Knicks point of view? Is it is it better, worse, or is it kind of basically the same? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, you know, the the you know, if you talk to some of the guys that have been around for a while, you know, the Peter Beckers and the uh, Dean Eagers and, and and these guys at, at some of the clubs, you know, they definitely look back on the National League with with probably rose tinted glasses as do I probably at times and think, you know, that was a better structure, more competitive games. Um, I was recently, we, we, we attended the forum up at, uh, in Auckland for all the, the, the three regions and there was still that sentiment going on there. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, clubs talking about, you know, potentially going to one round of a regional competition and two rounds of a national league because the national league was, was definitely a better competition. So, um, yeah, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. I think from our side of things, you know, uh, if I look at it and I look back to when Sarpreet and Libby were coming through, you know, they probably played 40 or 50 National League games by the time they were making appearances, or maybe that's exaggerated a little, but it was definitely, you know, in the, in the 2030s, 40s uh, in terms of number of games. Um, and, you know, did that prepare them better? I'm not sure because... You know, we now have, uh, I guess, the Finn Conchies and uh, Isaac Hughes and uh, uh, Lucas Kelly-Hields that have played, you know, probably the same number of games, but across the Central League and a National League, you know. And, and are they better players? Are they worse players? Time will tell on that. So I think the jury's still out for me uh, on that one. We are, There is some noise coming out of Australia that they are looking to um, potentially stand the National Youth League competition up there again. Um which now under the APL model, you know, we would be hand up saying, well, we have to be included in that uh, because potentially that might be a better standard of competition uh, compared to the National League. If you're thinking about, you know, the best uh, academy players in Australia with some of the pros that are playing in a competition and, and us being able to play against that. So, yeah, it's a look, it's a tough question. I think only time will tell. And I think we probably need another couple of years to, to really um, judge whether whether it is the right format or not, I guess finishing before Christmas isn't a, isn't a great isn't great for you guys, right? For dropping no. you know fringe players down to get game time and match fitness. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, definitely the old National League format played over the summer helped us in that regard. You know, we had uh, games that were going through the a larger chunk of the of the A League season, and I think this is probably where this National Youth League concept uh, for, uh, for in Australia with the APL will be more beneficial because it's probably played a lot more during the uh, uh sorry during the a-league competition um so definitely having a competition that run the same time as the a-league would be would be beneficial more beneficial for us uh, with the uh potential of like having a, a a an academy league level league uh in australia and being joining in that that you're talking both men and women uh, at the moment, the noise is only really about the men, but I, I guess at some point, you know, you would you would have to say that it would be critical for the women's side of the game as well and the development of the players. Because that's one of the difficult ones we have, right, with our uh, our girls' uh, academy teams, the three that we have, is where, where do we play them? You know, currently we've got the 15s playing in the 13 CDL uh, with the boys on, on a Sunday. I think the 17s are playing in the 15 CDL. And the 17s, uh, sorry, the 20s playing in the 17 CDO. And what we have found this year is the, the 15 girls playing in the 13 CDO 
are competitive. You know, at that age, the the difference between the boys and the girls is not really that massive. And I think you know, evident on the table, the girls were third, were third or fourth. But then when you start getting to that uh, 17s playing in the 15s, you know, the boys start to get a lot quicker and a lot stronger uh, and more so, more prominent at that at the other 20 reserve team level where they're playing in the 17 boys CDL. You know, watching some of the games, they, 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 they play fantastic football, their pressing structures are good, you know, that type of stuff, but they don't have the ability to put the ball on behind and change things up because the boys just mop it up, right? So it all becomes in front of the opposition rather than able to come behind. So it's um yeah finding finding the right the right place for those skills to develop in a safe environment as well uh, is critical and you know having a having a youth league that was the the with the academies and being almost girls only particularly that higher level would be uh, sorry that higher uh, older age group would be definitely advantageous. I think um, given we're probably about to wrap up, I'm interested in um, one thing. We've talked about it a bit with Domi, but I'm interested to hear your take given you come at it from a slightly different lens. But, you know, you were talking about the A-League having that kind of 60-ish ranking in the world and and there's this prospect of an Auckland team coming in and that's going to bring some challenges and some opportunities. What do you, what do you think is, is really needed over the next, say, five years to, to grow the A-League as a whole, but also for the Phoenix um, to keep growing within that structure? You know, we're... Where does the club and the league need to be heading, and what are the big changes that need to need to happen? Yeah, look, there's 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 definitely a number of challenges, right? Um, you know, you think about um, just venues, for example. You know, and and uh, the difficulty you have in even putting a draw together for the A League men and the A League women, based on stadium availability. Um, so, yeah, and playing in these big stadia where you know where Particularly, you think about us over the last few years, right? Five to eight thousand people potentially at the stadium, and a thirty-five thousand seat stadium. It just it doesn't make any sense, right? And it's not great from a product perspective. Uh, perspective, you know. So, I, I don't think it'll get fixed in five years. But you know, long, long term, I think you know, clubs owning stadium or having smaller boutique stadiums uh, would, would would be fantastic for the product. Um, I think there's there's some good thinking going on at APL level around the football strategy and where they want to take the league and where it's heading. Um, I think we will probably see a, a, a model where it, where it does become more about the, the selling of players, but still putting out a good product, you know? Uh, so if we have a look at the last transfer window, you know, uh, we didn't have a lot, any business in that one, um, but you're looking at the Geordie bosses and the uh, Marco Tilio's moving on for record prices. I think that's where the growth and cut will come and sustainability of the league. And if we could start getting our players, you know, with this strategy uh, into leagues that are paying a little bit more money rather than the stepping stone leagues, if that makes sense, you know, rather than going into, for example, a Scandinavian league that then sells on to another league, you know, for for bigger money, that we're actually making that step straight to the the next tier, just underneath the top five. Personally, I think that's really critical for 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 the game because as then more money flows back in and we get these clubs more sustainable, then we can start to see more investment and more growth in the game. I, I got one more to finish this off. Jake Jay Piper's taking over your role on the bench. How many yellow cards is he going to get this season? <laughs> uh, look, yeah, he's quite a he's, calm guy. He's, he's, he is quite a calm guy. He's he's learning the dark ways though <laughs> as, in football operations. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stress that comes with the job, Dale. Um, but actually, no, he he 
he won't probably be sitting on the bench that often. Uh, the way it's probably going to be structured this year, uh, he won't make the won't make the bench cut. Um, and it's probably good not to have the grumpy football operations guys on the bench. So it's not to keep your frequent flyer status up, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't be travelling. No, no, no. Those those days are over. I only go now where it, where it sort of makes sense and maybe where there's some other stuff to, to tie in with, which, uh, you know, after two and a half years of, of what we went through with COVID and what the family had to go through, I think it's probably going to be good to be based here in Wellington a lot longer. Though I think my wife sometimes prefers me not to be here for the, when it, with the away games and watching the game with me. <laughs> Well, we should probably not keep you too much longer, otherwise you might decide to have those bags packed waiting for you. Um, thanks as always, Gilly. Uh, it's been um, very enlightening. Awesome. No worries, guys. Always great to chat. And uh, we look forward to seeing you and the, and the rest of the LA Fever in the stadium chanting on the boys and the girls this year.